Welcome to KC Corner, episode 128. We have a very special guest today. Incredibly we're all special. You know, and it's a perfect season for it. You know, we're we have playoff baseball, uh, hockey season cranked back up again, mm-hmm. and today we have David Swanson, Dr. David Swanson, the senior pastor of an historic church, First Pres downtown. Really, an incredible man of God, an incredible leader of Christ Church. Stop! It's true, Dan. <laughs> but not just the church, but the community. It really, our community is blessed uh, with a godly man like him, a friend. So it is great to have you at Casey Corner, my brother. I love it. I'm just uh, blessed to be a part of this, and uh, hadn't seen you in a long time. Jeff, it's good so to this see is you. A great, uh, great little reunion. Yeah, amen so thank to that. Thank you for that. Oh no, thank you. Really appreciate your time, David. We focused on the last couple months kind of culture wars. And I know that you, like me, you've been doing ministry for a long time. And I know that the landscape in which we do ministry has changed. I mean, it's uh, at one time in so many ways, as we are preaching Christ, it seemed to be somewhat embraced in our culture. It seemed to be at least neutral uh, to some. And it seems like uh, with our culture wars and who's going to have the loudest voice and, mm. and the dividing line seems so deep right now, not just politically, but really, how does the church engage with that? You know, how uh, are we to respond? And I often think, do we play offense or do we play defense at a time like this? And I know that God has called you to this great place. Uh, and I'm so proud what God has done through this church, First Pres Orlando, for so many years. I remember at one time, I think one of your mottos was, in the heart of the city, for the heart of the city, or something <laughs> like that. Uh, but looking at your stuff these days, it seems like be loved, love the city, know truth, and live for truth uh, are, are the things that you and you guys do well. I love that, love the city. It makes me think of Jeremiah 29. where that's where it comes from. Is it? Oh, that's mm-hmm. awesome. You know, in the... Prophet Jeremiah telling those in exile in Babylon. I mean, if you're going to seek the welfare of that city, it probably in many ways felt more like today than maybe days previously in our ministry. But let me ask you the question as we jump in. How do you love the city and know the truth and live for the truth? It seems yeah. more yeah. difficult than ever. So, Well, you, you, it is so true. And, and I think the church over the last 25 years is viewed differently in the culture than she ever has been before. For sure. And I do think that the reason we we use Jeremiah 29 is, is very much that idea of exile. Mm-hmm. That the church is no longer, and again, some of this is geographically determined, but I don't think the church is is majority culture anymore. It's minority culture. Absolutely. So when you're when you're no longer the majority, when you're no longer viewed sort of with the respect and um, and really the, the love that people had for the church and the right. appreciation that people had for the church. Now, really since uh, the, the triumvirate of George Floyd's death, uh, the election and the pandemic, right. uh, when those three things happened kind of at the same time, the church was painted with this brush of bigotry mm-hmm. and uh, that we were misogynistic Neanderthals <laughs> right. not yeah. to be trusted. Sure. And, and there was this actually growing hostility. So. In, in that kind of a culture, you know, Jeremiah says to the Israelites, hey, you know, plant your crops, build your houses, marry your kids. Right. And the point is, we're going to be here for a while. Right. So settle in. Yeah. Settle in and build relationships. And in planting your crops, produce something that contributes to the surrounding culture. Mm-hmm. And so when we say, when we say love the city, and it's, you know, it's be loved, love the city, no truth, live truth. 
it's like breathing. It's Mark 3.14. Jesus mm-hmm. called them that they might be with him, that he might send them out. So we're mm-hmm. constantly telling our people, you come in, you go out. You come in, you go out. Yeah. You, you, you come in to be loved. And then you go out to love the city. If you only do one of those, you're missing half the gospel. And you can't go out and love the city if you don't know you're loved. And, and the only, you got to sure. start gotta with fill your loved. cup. Yeah, you got to fill your cup. And then, you know, you, you know truth, but then you have to go out and live that truth. So what does that mean for us? Again, in a culture that is increasingly hostile and that the church is increasingly out of step with cultural values, mm-hmm. is we believe that, that we serve without expectation or condition. That First Presbyterian Church wants to show up in areas of need in our community so that we can partner with people that we might disagree with, but we can agree, for instance, that um, homelessness is bad. Mm -hmm. Um, We can agree that fostering a child is hard. Mm -hmm. Um, We can agree that there's certain social issues that even though we may disagree on some things, we can agree that we can do this together. Hunger is bad. Mm -hmm. And so what we've tried to encourage our people to do and, and shifting our ministry model really changed in 2018 when we said we're not going to be attractional anymore. And as a downtown church, for years we were like, okay, we gotta we gotta have the best dog and pony show in town to make people come downtown, <laughs> sure. you know. And uh, but now it's much less about being here. And instead, when you come in, we want to equip you to live missionally where you are, and that that's what's going to really impact the kingdom and grow the church. And so now. You know, we're seeing the fruit of that being born as uh, discipleship has emphasized that in our church, as people have grown in their faith, volunteerism has really increased, and we're seeing people, you know, really start to live daily. So, you know, it, and I don't, I hope this doesn't come off as me being critical of other churches, but we used to do the same thing, where you'd have a, uh, three times a year, you'd have serve day. Yeah. And everyone would come to the church yeah. and you'd go you serve. The, and you get the t-shirt. You got a t-shirt and then you have lunch. You got a free check lunch. The box. And you check the box and you didn't think about service again until the next yeah. time. And I said, you know, we're, we're not, we're going to, we don't do serve days yeah. anymore because I want you to live like that all the time. Uh, amen, dude. And um, you should be thinking about how can I be serving in my community? So now, you know, we've, we've had people come up with, in our church, just with new ministries. Uh, one is involved in the arts. One is involved in, in helping families that are fostering. Uh, one is involved in a local elementary school. You know, one is involved in in, uh, in peewee football. I mean, wow. it's just, you know, so I'm like, hey, your call may be to coach Little League Baseball. Right. And and to be a gospel-sharing person in all these environments where the, many of those people are not encountering a church-going person mm-hmm. in any other place besides that. Yeah, that's fantastic. Hey, Brooks, now you know why I love them. I mean, <laughs> yeah. right there in the first whatever minutes we had, I mean, that has been fantastic. Well, it's interesting on your door, you know, we're right up the road in Longwood, and just on your door now here down here in uh, Orlando, it says, like, if you need help with homelessness, reach out to this number, reach out to these people, and they can set you up. We would never even think about that, and we're six, eight miles north. And that's <laughs> exactly. It. Right. A whole different little venue mm-hmm. demographic uh-huh. right there. You know, one of the things that you you said is that your people are coming up with ministry ideas. It seems to be a decentralized approach to ministry where when they have a heart for it, maybe the church is coming alongside that. Is that different or is it something where you feel like you have to come up with the ideas and then rally the troops there? Or do you no, see I what think God's you're, doing? I think you're 100% right. You know, our, our hope is that our, our people are going to be coming up with the ideas as through their giftings, the way the Spirit moves them. Now, there are going to be some core visionary things that will come from me and our pastoral team and the elders sure. and that we want to lead well. 
uh, and, and will need help in executing. But we do want a lot of people to be thinking about, hey, what, what, what's going to work in your neighborhood? Sure. And that's the, kind of the three areas, family, neighborhood, and vocation that we emphasize. How can you share the gospel in your household? How are you discipling your children? How are you, you know, serving the Lord in your marriage? And then neighborhood, you know, and, and we all struggle with this. How many of us really know our neighbors? Yeah. And are we doing things in our neighborhood? And again, that's what we emphasize post-hurricane was go knock on doors. Ask mm-hmm. if people are okay. What a great opportunity to do, do gospel sharing. So, you know, we kind of look at five areas of discipleship. And, and right now I'm kind of preaching through the fifth one, which is, is gospel sharing. Right. And that's what we used to call evangelism. Right. But again, in terms of how do you yeah, change, yeah. you adapt. The you know we're minority culture, not majority culture. So Jeff, when you and I were growing up, what do we do? We get the four spiritual laws, baby, <laughs> exactly. and we'd sit down yeah. and we'd walk you through sure. that. You pull out the four spiritual laws today, and, and walls go up, and yeah. no one's going to talk to you. So you know we looked at Acts seventeen and Paul at the Areopagus in yeah. Athens, yeah. and and how does he share with all of Athens cultural elites? He says, hey, I I see that you're religious too. Yeah. And and he finds a place of common ground. Mm-hmm. And then he says, I understand you've got all these temples to unknown gods. And and so that, that's interesting. He and he knows the history of Athens. And then says, not not only is the God the Christian God, so you know, the idea in gospel sharing is how can we understand A, mm-hmm. what is the story that people in our culture are living out of? And today I would say that's expressive individualism. That's Robert Bella's uh, term, right. uh, and it's you know my high, highest and best use of my time is to make myself happy. Right. Well, if that's the story they're living out of, then then how can we help them understand that the gospel story is actually a better story? Amen to that. And um, and that's a you know great book by Jason Chatraw uh, called uh, Telling a Better Story. But it so instead of hey here's a track and I'm going to tell you what you need to do, it's I'm going to build a relationship with you, and out of the common ground that I can find. I'm going to begin to ask questions about how how does your story work and how do you find that your story gives you a sense of fulfillment and purpose and then you know as Paul says he goes well let me let me tell you how my story works right. and and again it's just um, you know it's incredible. I, it, it, it is a much different approach but I think a very important one you know you think of that cultural context in Athens and he's quoting their poets exactly. and they, you know he's using yep. their language he's talking mm-hmm. their language Entering right into out their of the world. world, and you think about his journeys. Uh, you know, I imagine you've probably been to Turkey and, and Greece. I've actually not. Oh man, you got to need go. to get them. And so <laughs> I've, I've done some of the uh, the journeys of Paul through through Turkey. It's amazing, and the context was different, and they were going to be in different places uh, at different times. Even you know, the Bereans were different than the Thessalonians. Right. right. So they so, threw so, him uh, in jail. And, yeah. And exactly. So. But you know. But Paul, in his wisdom to go and do what he did, to learn the context uh, in which God had placed them, mm. it was so beautiful. I love that gospel sharing versus evangelism. I'm going to steal it, by the way. I'm going to, well, let me not, just tell you. That's what this me. podcast is all about. I've we just steal a lot of material. I love it. Well, they always say, you know, how do you reinvent the wheel? But, right. but right. Uh, that's fantastic. So those five areas, tell me a little bit about the five areas. I mean, so... The last one is gospel, gospel sharing. sharing. So the, the first one is identity idolatry. So the, the first thing, I'm, I'm sorry, that's the second one. The first one's biblical narrative. So you have to understand the arc of the biblical story. Absolutely. And so that's creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Sure. Kind of the and, worldview, the big, the right. big picture. And that the Bible is, is, is one coherent story, not a bunch of individual books. Right. So then out of that comes identity idolatry. 
and and that's you know that our identity is in Christ, but our constant the constant push pull is that I, I find my worth and value in something that I idolize, something in right, the world. Right. So it's you have to understand how that uh, impacts your life. Um, then the third one. Um, Sorry to do this. No, too. no, no. I know. I'm, I'm, I'm blanking. The, the fourth one is missional venues. Okay. And that's what I uh, uh, that's what I mentioned earlier. That's family, neighborhood, and vocation. Yeah, which is fantastic. And then gospel sharing is the fifth one, and the third one. Okay, we need to talk about something else, and I'll, okay. I'll think, no, no worries. We'll think of it as we talk. You know, we have an emphasis at King's Chapel. We're talking about this fall of really taking. Uh, we are our motto is for the glory of our great God, for the good of our neighbor. And how are we equipping those among us to reach those around us? Mm, and and mm. again, it just uh, dovetails into so much of what you are saying. And it seems like for a long time, my whole thing is that as a church, we have to be winsome. And we look at you know, where we are culture-wise. And we have to admit, the church has shot itself in the foot sometimes, either 100%. trying to be way too political and, you know, hey, we're the more moral majority and mm-hmm. you wonder, are they either or wherever the church and some of the things that we have done you know, they do might think we're Neanderthals, and sadly, we look back and say, man, we acted mm. poorly mm. there. But I, I've always wanted this to be winsome. I mean, to try to say, you know, hey, let's enter into their story. Do you find that's harder to do, David, uh, to be winsome uh, to, uh, you know, kind of gospel sharing in, a, in an environment that uh, is no longer neutral? It's no longer at least lukewarm it seems yeah. like yeah. you know it's I, you know I, I think it's definitely harder but I think the advantage um, that we have when you're in in the same place for a long time so I'm in this is year 18 this is year 19 for me at first wow. press awesome. and so so I think the the ability to engage in relationships over a long period of time um, wins you the sure. right to be heard yeah. and when you engage in enough things in the community so that people know that you love and care about them regardless of what it is they believe, yeah. then you get a seat at the table. And Absolutely. I'll give you a, a good example. We, uh, you know, all the studies that you read about those who live in the LGBTQ community mm-hmm. indicate that they have a hi- higher rates of mental health mm-hmm. issues, higher rates of suicide. Mm-hmm. And there was a research study that said the place where they feel most out of accord and unwelcome is with the church. Oh. So there was a there was a PhD uh, Earl Mowat who's a local uh, PhD researcher uh, kind of had a thesis and, and wrote a, a paper on this that if the LGBTQ community could improve their relationships with the church, it would improve overall mental health, reduce the suicide wow. rate, etc. So sense. I was invited to be a part of a a group of evangelical pastors and local members of the LGBTQ community to get to know each other, to understand each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and and not in the sense of uh, of you know a desire to compromise mm-hmm. anything in in either direction, but simply to understand to, each other and build relationships. To dialogue. To dialogue. And I think that's what we've lost in all this is is we have no ability to engage in meaningful, respectful public yeah, discourse. Amen. And um, and so we met for had lunch for seven weeks in a row, and and I really it was great, and I feel like that I am more understood and. Uh, and I understand uh, where they are uh, more more clearly, and I think my empathy uh, has grown. And I certainly want to do everything I can to love them well. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, you know, so I I uh, you know, my hope is that they'll feel uh, more comfortable in the church 
um, than they ever have before, and we'll we'll work towards that. I love the story, David, and and, and again, I, I think again, God has equipped you to be able to go and to do that, and again, not only your history, but you've entered into other conversations, mm-hmm. and you did it in a non-judgmental way, and and just were winsome bringing the gospel with you, but not beating it over their head. Mm-hmm. You know what makes me sad is to think. I wonder how much criticism you got for doing it. I wonder how many Christians or how many churches would throw stones at you mm-hmm. saying, well, you shouldn't be there. You know, mm-hmm. you, you really you should have taken a harder line. You, uh, you know, um, it's hard sometimes when we fight ourselves. And, and, uh, so true. Um, well, I went, one of the things I did, um, and I don't want to go off on a tangent, but I, I was when right after George Floyd's uh, uh, death, there was a big Black Lives Matter rally in downtown Orlando. Right. And I was invited by two of my uh, black pastor friends in the area right. to go with them. Sure. And so who's going to say no to that? I don't know that anybody in their right <laughs> yeah, mind would no. say, no, I'm not yeah. going. So I went, and it was it was a very moving thing to be a part of. And I sure. went because the gospel calls us to bear one another's burdens. Amen. And I was going to support my friends in the black community who were suffering. And I, I did a Facebook Live thing from that and, and said, hey, here's what's happening and you know, and and then, man, I got just I got fried over the difference between Black Lives Matter and Black Lives Matter Inc. as an organization. Sure, sure. And I, you know, and so I was. It's amazing, you know, as I was talking in sermons after that about let me help you understand why sure. I did that. And uh, but you do you do things because they're the right thing, and because we need to engage with our brothers and sisters. Amen. Across racial lines, and and um, and yet even then, there are going to be people who don't understand it or disagree with right. it. But I think it's required for gospel unity. Amen. May God give you, my dear brother, incredibly thick skin and an incredibly <laughs> soft heart, and, <laughs> yeah, so, uh, gotta have both of those. Uh, and a sharp mind, which you have. I'm going to do a pivot here. I want to. Sure. I want to ask you a question. One of the things I'm sensing as a pastor is even with the church. Are we fighting for American ideals or Christian doctrine at times? It mm. seems like there's a longing for us to find the America that we felt comfortable in. And I know you love being an American. I love being American. You're wearing a master's shirt. I love being there. I mean, there's so many things yeah. about this country. And not to go right to sports. I mean, it's, <laughs> right, right. it's our freedom. It's the things that we enjoy. Our kids enjoy. Our grandkids um, that we love. But I have a sense where many in the church long, either, either that's politically, uh, you could hear phrases of a making America great again mm-hmm. or whatever, mm-hmm. that that is, or maybe even making more of a Christian nation, so to speak, and that kind of scares me. But um, tell me about that. I mean, how, how do you feel the church is and how do you deal with the desire for many to take us back to the golden years of America mm-hmm. instead of pushing advancing Christ's kingdom right. and living for him. Well, and that, that you know, emerged out of the January 6th incident was this whole idea of, of Christian nationalism. And I think there is a danger when we conflate our Christian theology with the fact that America is a chosen nation. Yeah. And do I think God has blessed us sure. as a nation? 100%. But I don't think that we have been chosen uh, in a way that would make us different from any other nation. Uh, and I, do I think that as a nation we're called to honor the Lord? Uh, absolutely. But I think that's different. Um, you know, p- patriotism is love for country, but not love for country such that you lose the ability 
to be critical of it. Yeah. And I think we can love our country and all the great things about her uh, without losing our ability to be biblically wise in being critical of certain parts mm. and, and wanting to make our country better in that respect. Mm. Um, but I think it's, it's very dangerous uh, when we start um, talking about uh, bringing Christianity to be a national religion um, and now you've, you've just married two things that, that biblically, you know, my allegiance and my worship is of God, not of nation. Yeah, amen. And that's when we get into trouble is when we start worshiping the nation uh, as the end all be all. And right. if we put our hope in politics, um, uh, that's going uh, to be a bad ending. That's not going to end well either, is it? Yeah. Yeah, so, and it seems like through history, the, the, the churches that have a nationalistic uh, common mm -hmm. ground, they don't usually do really well mm -hmm. evangelistically or hanging on to truth. I'm going to ask you, and again, probably the last thing that we have for you, or that I have for you, I don't know, Brooks, if you have anything else, but really, when I when I think of you, David, I, and I mean this sincerely, I think that God has uniquely gifted you, not that you're God's gift to Christendom, but, <laughs> but brother, you. You, you, are, you are gifted to lead a church like this, and I've always mm -hmm. admired that about you. It seems like you know, God can set your face like Flint in a certain direction, whether that's leading this church into a new denomination mm -hmm. or, or engaging things and, you know, uh, that you do going on the, the Black Lives Matter parade with a couple of your uh, brothers in Christ, which, which is fantastic. How do you personally, how do you personally, David Swanson, keep up with what you need to keep up with culturally, uh, keep up and probably I should have started here biblically how do you feed your soul can you let me in or let us in uh, as much as you're willing to share of you know because I feel as a pastor you know you really have to kind of keep current with what's going on but mm -hmm. also keep saturated in God's word mm -hmm. you know soak in God's spirit so mm -hmm. you got mm -hmm. a big congregation here brother you got a lot of responsibility yeah here. Yeah. How do you do it and not go crazy? <laughs> no, it's, it's interesting. I, I think that um, over the years, well, there are a couple things about my story, and I'm not, I don't know uh, if you even know this, Jeff, but when I was a younger man in my, in my early 20s getting out of college, you know, I really struggled with, with panic disorder and became almost agoraphobic where mm. I had trouble leaving my house mm. um, because of just severe uh, debilitating anxiety. And and I truly believe that God had called the wrong guy. I mean, I was kind of on a track to go to seminary, and I'm like, Lord, if you had really called me, then you wouldn't have allowed this to happen to me. Mm -hmm. And um, and I remember at the time, God asking me, you know, not audibly, but it, I just felt like, you know, the question was, David, do you trust me, A? And um, and and B uh, was, you know, if, if I have called you, then I, I will also provide for you. There was a reassurance there. And so I, you know, in that moment, I was like, all right, Lord, I'm going to, I'm going to keep walking through the doors. Uh, and, um, and if I fall on my face, well, then that's on you because I was obedient. <laughs> yeah. Amen. And, um, and so I've always known the source of the gift. I mean, when I think about who I was in my early twenties and the fact that I stand up on Sunday morning and talk in front of a bunch of people is laughable. Like yeah. sometimes I just, you know, take myself out of it and look at myself and I'm like, Lord, only you could pull this off. Mm -hmm. And so part of it is I know who the, I know who the source is. I'm under no illusions that David Swanson's done much of anything. Mm -hmm. um, God is the source of the gifts. And, 
And I remember a counselor told me one time, you know, don't, don't let anxiety be your enemy, make anxiety your friend. Mm. And so that has actually served me really well because when I feel myself getting anxious, it's like a, my emotional system giving me a shot over the bow to say, hey, there's some things in your life that you need to pay attention to. Either you're not spending enough time with the Lord or maybe you're not spending enough time at home. But I am, uh, I am you know, and my staff will tell you, I'm pretty rigorously disciplined with my schedule, um, with exercise. You know, they, they see me leave in the middle of the day. I come home, I come back to the office drenched in sweat about one <laughs> o'clock. And it's just, that's good for a variety of things. And then, you know, I, I take my days off. Um, I spend a lot of time with my wife. Um, I have an accountability group. Um, and so I, I try to set um, some pretty good boundaries uh, around myself that allow me to, um, to stay fresh. And this congregation gives me uh, the freedom to take two weeks a year and go off by myself and be with the Lord. And I get sabbaticals every, every seven years. And, um, you know, Paul Tripp wrote a great book uh, on leadership. And one of the chapters is on longevity. And it says in uh, that chapter on longevity, it said, a long pastor is not possible in the absence of a gracious congregation. Wow. And so uh, I realized that uh, First Pres uh, would, you know, they're not perfect, but they have been gracious to me. And that allows me to have been here a while because I made plenty of mistakes and they love me and they hadn't, they haven't kicked me to the curb. And, um, <laughs> And so uh, we've been able to learn and grow together, and I'm, I'm grateful for that. Well, thank you for sharing. I had yeah. no idea that that was a struggle. Mm-hmm. And I love that phrase of uh, make anxiety your friend. And, yeah, not uh, your enemy. Wow, which is, which is fantastic. Brooks, uh, any thoughts? Yeah, that's a perfect segue. Uh, on Twitter, uh, kind of business finance Twitter, it's kind of like that sure. grind mindset, and it talks about in your early 20s when you're a young guy, you should work as much as possible, try and get ahead, and you just said how you need to take breaks and spend time with your family and wife and exercise. So any advice to, I'm 26, any advice to kind of the 20s and young adults out there listening to this podcast of realizing that you do have to work and we're called to work, but also having that balance of spending time in the word with your family and everything like yeah. that. Yeah, what I see in, uh, in young adults, and I, our 20s ministry right now is one of the best things we got going. So we, awesome. we're, we're swimming in 20-year-olds. And I often tell them, you know, is to be good to yourselves. And to, I feel like there are so many people uh, in their 20s who, who have a, a burden and feel a pressure to have it all figured out. Mm-hmm. And they're going to work and figure out their career and get on the path and get on the track. And, you know, I've always believed that your 20s are, is a decade of experimentation mm-hmm. where, you know, you're going you're gonna to try a few things and try this and try that. And you're going to get educated and, and do the things you need to know to set yourself up for success. But you don't have to have it all figured out. So don't mm-hmm. beat yourself up that you don't. And, um, and don't put so much pressure on yourself to ha- have the ladder climb to a certain rung by a certain date and instead uh, enjoy the relationships and find community. Um, because when you work all the time, you isolate yourself and mm-hmm. isolation is always bad. Mm-hmm. Isolation is always bad. Mm-hmm. So find, build in community and you can still, you know, you can work 50 or 60 hours a week and you can still have community and make time for some other things. That'd be it. I think that's the biggest thing in your 20s is when you get out of college, you're still competitive and you know you want to compare what you're making to your friends and see yeah. what they're doing. And it's kind of like a big topic of conversation. But as you get older, you realize the things that are important to you and what's important in your life for sure. That's right. Yeah. Well, and we, we tend to use faulty measuring sticks. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the standard for how we measure ourselves is, is not 
worldly definitions. It's the it's the measure of Christ, mm-hmm. and so we have to remind ourselves about that. Absolutely. But you have to have the biblical narrative to start with, Brooks, and then you have to have the identity uh, indicator. Identity idolatry. idolatry. Yeah, it's so good. So, it's so those, those yeah. things were so, so good. I still can't. Brother. I'm still can't come up with a third. We one. put you on the spot. I, I think. Know. I really think the third one is community. Yeah, and, that makes um, sense. And I, uh, you know, how do you build relational community into uh, your spiritual life? So, but mm-hmm. I'm gonna, I'm gonna confirm well, that. That's good. <laughs> well, again, David, thank you so much for your time. Hey, this was a treat. I love, yeah, love being with you. You know, I, I want you to, anybody who's listening to this, really uh, do me a favor right now. And would you pray for First Pres Downtown? Would you pray for Dr. David Swanson? Again, God's called him uh, to a, a big ministry in our community. And, um, you know, may God protect him, keep his heart fresh in the gospel and bless his family. So I really appreciate prayers from my brother. I, I've looked up to him for a long time. And Really, uh, it's been a role model to me. Where he's a little bit older than me, I think. I mean, I don't know. I was born in '65. Are you born '63? All right. So yeah, he's always been a little ahead of me. But anyway, all that to say, uh, brother, may God richly bless you, your family, your ministry. Um, it's you. it's been thank great. You. It's been great for me to hear you fire me up every time being with you. I'm encouraged. So thank you so much. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Brooks. We're back from our interview with Dr. David Swanson. It was a great one, Brooks. It was awesome. It was awesome going off-site out to his church down there in our downtown Orlando. That was so great. Loved it. But now we can talk about our own church and what you talked about <laughs> last Sunday. And there you go. Let's go down to what really matters. Just yes, kidding. Exactly. Just kidding. No, but you know, last week as we continued in our sermon series about David, a man after God's own heart, we really could have started here, Brooks, because this is God's covenant with David that we talked about. It was the promise that God made this God-sized co- a promise uh, to David. Hey, I'm not only going to make you king, but you're going to have a kingdom forever. I'm going to build a house and man, will it be a house But what I want to come back and say, really what I meant to say is, it's not just history. It didn't just happen back then. It was something that affects us. And I love the reality that in the New Testament, all of a sudden, boom, it's Jesus proclaiming, hey, by the way, that kingdom is at hand. It's John the Baptist preparing the way like, hey, repent and believe the kingdom of God. Here come the promises. And then when we really start to examine this kingdom and the promise, we realize that scripture says, this should be our number one priority. I mean, this should be what we are living for, what we're seeking first and foremost. And so what I really had hoped to say was, here's a cool story. Here's an amazing promise. Here is our God. And yet this is how it intersects our life. And this is how Jesus brings that promise to fruition. So mm-hmm. that, that's what I was hoping for. And it's incredible how the these stories in 1 Samuel go all the way to the gospel. And it talks about the son of David and the whole story of the Bible. And I know David talked about that in our interview of the Bible being one story with different pieces, not just like individual stories that live alone. It's so true. And if you, not only one story, but there's certain threads through that story that run from start to finish. And one of the threads is it's always been God's design to to love, protect, govern his people through a godly king. And here that king comes is Jesus. And as you said, uh, you know, the one story here, the first words, the first chapter in the Gospel of Matthew, it's linking Jesus to Abraham and to David saying, hey, by the way, there's a connection here. There's one story. Mm-hmm. And, cool. and wrapping up on that too, talking about what we need to do first is confess Jesus as Lord, repent and believe. It's yeah. not 
we need to try better. It's not we need to do more good. It's we need to confess how messed up we are. And I love that repent and believe too, because I, you know, when Jesus arrived, the Jewish people at the time thought they were in because they were circumcised. They had something done to them. They were born uh, in a, in a certain tribe, and so therefore they had access to this Messiah. And yes, they did have the law, and God did bless them. But you weren't in because you were a Hebrew. You weren't in because you were circumcised. You're into this kingdom because you repent and believe. And that was for the Jew first, but also for us Gentiles. And, you know, what an upside down kingdom. You know, they thought, oh, great, the Messiah is coming and we're in because we're the chosen people. Doesn't matter how we live. Let's just go to the temple. But all of a sudden, no, 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 this whole thing, the way you want to get into this kingdom, repent of your sins, believe that Christ is the Messiah. Boom. You're in. Incredible stuff. So what do we have to look forward to for part six? One of the most heartwarming stories of all, it's uh, once once David is really on the throne and he's like, is there anybody in my best friend's life, Jonathan's life, that I could still show some favor to, some love to? And it's the story of Mephibosheth. Uh, Easy to say. Easy uh, to say. It's a beautiful thing. But he was somebody that uh, had to go through life uh, with, a, with a handicap, uh, with a struggle. Um, he was dropped as a young child and crippled in both feet. And uh, um, there's a beautiful story of how God, uh, I'm sorry, how David, God through David, uh, shows him uh, just kindness and compassion. And it's really, a, again, it points to Jesus showing us uh, mm-hmm. kindness and compassion and how he welcomes us to his table. So it's a heartwarming story. It's a great one. I can't wait to preach it. David lived such a great life and many, many stories and many pieces to cover. It's so true. And, you know, and I think I looked over what, what do we have left? This is a fantastic story. We're going to take a turn after that. A look at that. He is a, a sinner. And uh, mm-hmm. boy, was he a big sinner. Yeah, we've so, been gassing up David. Up yeah, until this yeah, yeah, we're going <laughs> to that gas is going to catch fire. <laughs> but uh, but it's all good. And again, we know that our hope is never in David. Our hope is in Jesus, mm-hmm. uh, the greater David, the the one that David calls Lord. Mm-hmm. Good mm-hmm. stuff. What KC updates do we have before we get out of here? Biggest thing, October is here. Don't forget, uh, bring your canned goods to help bless uh, the Sharing Center, one of our ministry partners. Grab a book bag, fill it up for someone's Thanksgiving to be a blessing. And our our, uh, Fall Fest is around the corner. So that's going to be the 30th of October. Uh, We're hoping to have a, a, a meeting after church on Sunday, some exciting stuff. So, um, you know, great time. Uh, it's a little bit cooler, maybe a tad, you know, mm-hmm. fall oh, yeah. is here, bro. So uh, jump right in. And even, uh, I don't know if people are going to be able to listen to this, how soon they'll get this. But tomorrow uh, I start again, creeds and coffee. I hope people jump in. And tonight we, we crank back up our women's ministry. So there's always a spot for people, not only in the corner, uh, but we really want to equip those among us to reach those around us. There's always a spot at King's Chapel, too. Amen there, brother. <laughs> Love it. We'll see you guys Sunday. Have a great week.